Welcome to the Indigo Podcast, an exploration of human flourishing at work and beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State University. And I'm Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us at www.indigopodcast.com. Today's episode is about career pivots, champions, and finding purpose with our good friend, Kate Ball. Yes, indeed. We have Kate in the studio, so to speak. So today we're going to talk, we're going to hear about Kate's story. And a little bit about that is finding out what is possible and this idea of discovering your own potential, so to speak. And mixed along with that, uh, a big theme is going to be the, the circuitous nature of careers and navigating some of those possibilities. And then we're going to talk about the importance of finding purpose and some implications for all of us. And, you know, as as Chris mentioned, today we have the extreme pleasure of interviewing, having a conversation with our great friend, Kate Ball. Now, Kate's so awesome that like when we (laughs) chat, we're like, she's got to be part of this thing and and not just one. So, Kate, you don't get to just do one episode and say, all right, I did my friendly obligation here. I mean, I'm down, but this is a lot of pressure. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. And, and I mean, obviously everyone in the world knows who Kate Ball is, but maybe there's someone out there who doesn't. So if you are one of those uh, unfortunate people, uh, Kate is the director of talent and leadership development at a very large tech company. She's been an officer in the U.S. Navy since 2002. She's been around this leadership development world for a really long time. She's super experienced. And you know what? She's also smart and nice, which is which is great. That's one of the requirements, along with a, a zany sense of humor that we require for our guests on the Indigo podcast. So she's going to take you through her story. So I'll, uh, I'll shut up there, but just uh, starting off with a formal Kate, welcome to the Indigo podcast. Thank you guys so much for bringing me here. (laughs) I was going to try to find a way to try to naturally and organically throw in jack wagons and numbskulls, (laughs) but I couldn't figure out how to do it to sound normal. That's right. It's not so, part of my everyday vernacular. Well, so <laughs> stay tuned for the um, Jack Wagon and Numbskull coffee mugs. Uh, we'll have to develop those. Um, yes, that, that would be great. And by the way, don't don't even try to attempt to sound normal during this conversation, because goodness knows that Chris and I are far from normal. Yeah, you will be sucked into the vortex of abnormality here. <laughs> So, I mean, that was pretty much my expectation when I came on here today. I mean, we already know you have bad judgment because of the company you keep here. So, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, let's let's jump to it. Kate, so I want you to tell us, our listeners, and some of this stuff I didn't even know when we were kind of prepping for this, which I, inc- incredible story here. Um, so, um, Kate, let's uh, get you to tell us your story about how you ended up in your current role, um, which is, you know working at the level that you are right Mm now and doing the work that she loves, which is really cool. Yes. Thank you so very much. So, you know, when we were talking about how to prep and how we wanted to start and, and we really began our focus on the, the career pivots that people take, I figured that I would start a little farther back than, than I normally do when I take them through my career journey, which is, you know, even just deciding to go to the Naval Academy in general, because I think it's, it's worth it to talk about, doing things unexpectedly in your life that weren't originally part of the plan, because who knows how that could turn out and taking some risk, I think is, uh, is healthy and good. Yeah. So, so just on real quick, um, do you know, if you walk into a room of crowded people, do you know how to immediately know if anyone in that room has either gone to the Naval Academy or Notre Dame? No. <laughs> They'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> did I just do that there? Did you did I did you prep that? Or did I just <laughs> so I, I fell into the trap um as expected, which uh well done, well done then. Um anyway, so you know, go, going back to when I was in high school, I I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I wasn't really sure, you know, where I was going to go to college, but I knew I had to try to find a scholarship or something somewhere. And it, it just wasn't, it wasn't happening for me. Um, my grades weren't, you know, straight A's everywhere. And um, I was a swimmer, but my sport wasn't high enough that it was one which was going to get me a full ride someplace. So I 
happened to be at a swim meet and the coach from the Naval Academy was there and they approached me and asked me if I'd ever considered the military. Answer was no, I had not considered the military before. But what I realized was, you know, opportunity to go to a really good school and guaranteed job when I finished. And then by the end of that, I, uh, I could get out after my five years. And at that point, hopefully I knew what I wanted to do when I grew up. And so I kind of just uh, took that as my, as my way to, to find my path um, in a kind of unexpected way, I guess. So go to the Naval Academy. Um, I became a surface warfare officer. So that's the person who is, you know, going out to sea and traveling the world. So the person that you think about when, uh, whenever you think about the Navy um, out on ships, and I did a deployment over to around South America, and then another one over in the Mediterranean. So I got to see many, many cultures, lots of cool people do some really cool missions. And I actually ended up really loving everything that I was doing. Um, what, were your, what were your jobs? What ships did you serve on and what jobs did you have? Yeah, so I was on the USS Oban and I did both of my tours on that ship. Typically, people go from one ship to another. And I, I started out as the communications officer. And for my second tour, I was the navigator. And so, Sweet. yeah, and we did, we, my ship, I was so lucky. My ship had the coolest missions. The, the first deployment that I did down in South America, we were doing counter drug ops. So we had Coast Guard on our ship and we were going to really cool places and doing some humanitarian type things, you know, uh, helping clean up orphanages. We were hanging out with some kids who didn't have any family in other countries. We were going to, you know, the Andes Mountains and meeting all sorts of indigenous people who were out there just to, you know, bring kind of awareness of what the U.S. Navy does. And, and we did so many cool things while feeling like we had some purpose keeping our children back in the United States from having all these drugs coming to us. So it was, it was, it was fun. It was a little scary at times, but like I said, we had the Coast Guard, we had this great partnership together. And so went all over South America and had this really great experience there. Then my second tour was when I was the navigator and we went over to the Mediterranean. So we crossed the Atlantic, went to the Med, and there we had the mission of doing counter piracy. So, you know, I, I usually make some joke, you know, are thinking about the, the eye patches and. <laughs> and <pirates. laughs> um, well, no, just just to be absolutely clear for our listeners who don't know, there are real pirates. Real still pirates. Today. Yeah. They, they think of, think the movie Captain Phillips with with yeah. Tom Hanks, you know, yeah. that like that stuff is legitimate. And so. Um, our role, my ship's role, was to protect other seagoing vessels from these people because we had a whole lot more weapons than most of these other and, different and back, Mediterranean pirates were what helped us get the daggone Navy anyway. <laughs> right. right. There you go. Right. We wrapped up the Revolutionary War. You know, word spreads that the Brits aren't protecting our shipping anymore and our people keep getting sacked and held hostage, right? I mean, that's for those of you guys... Uh, great book, Power, Faith, and Fantasy. If you haven't read that book, it's a history of the Middle East and the United States from 1776 to the present. Yeah. But anyway, we find we because nobody wanted to be taxed, but we got so tired of our relatives getting held hostage that we're like, okay, okay, we <laughs> got to get a tax and start the Navy. And so, here's the anyway. thing: I mean, we are a maritime nation with lots of coastline. And for that reason, and for the reasons that Chris just explained, and for what was Kate was, Kate was just describing in terms of keeping our shipping lanes open around the world, uh, you know, the, the Navy is actually the military service that is mandated by our Constitution to exist. Um, the Army is actually not required to always be there. So, Go um, Navy, yeah. beat Army. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> Sorry, all fun and games until your big red boat gets taken over by real pirates, not the Disney kind, right? <laughs> That's right. Exactly. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Yes. These are not the pirates of the Caribbean. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, so you got to do some really salty stuff. I mean, when you just casually yeah. like dropped, oh, it was the navigator. Like uh, a navigator on a Navy ship, that's, you don't just pull out your phone and say, go that way. I mean, it's mm -hmm. it's a fairly big deal. You have to really plan out where you're going and where you are. You have a, a team that you're helping to guide in that whole endeavor. And uh, it's pretty cool stuff. And, and you, you know, get you, fired if you screw up. Big time. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. For, for <laughs> sure. Know, for and sure. you can't like not report your position for a couple of 
hours, apparently. <laughs> that's no, bad too. Yeah, all that's bad. That, all bad stuff. And uh, yeah. so, I mean, and it's not all electronic. We do have very good electronics now, and we have we we do use those. Um, mm-hmm. But we all do we we still do stuff with paper charts to uh, yeah. make sure. It just hey, what about sextants? Do you guys use those kind of? You can do the old school. Yes, with the sun and, and, and stuff? this this will absolutely be dating myself, but. Back then, back in the day when I was doing this, we still had to know celestial navigation. So I had this chief that was super, super salty. And as we were making the transition over to using more GPS and all of these electronics that that Ben's talking about, my chief was like, I don't care. You're still going to all learn how to use a sextant and an Allidate and all these other things. And so every single day he had my sailors all out and me out there learning, shooting all sorts of different things like yeah. looking at stars and these different nav aids and everything so that we had no excuse if all of this went down because that was still in the day where we were a little skeptical that all of our electronics would work all the time <laughs> right but the one time they don't you're gonna be like oh, i wish i'd you know paid attention and stuff <laughs> there in that class right what a what a rotten feel i hope we don't run out of food out here that's right <laughs> and, and just to clarify too when you say celestial navigation, that's navigating a ship by using the stars. Correct. Like, so mm-hmm. uh, for those people who don't know this, I mean, it's pretty cool. And that's, I mean, there's um, a lot of, uh, I mean, that's been something that, that sailors have done, have done for centuries, right? So Yeah, it's it's absolutely tradition. Anyway, I, I don't want to digress, but I just think this is super cool, salty stuff. And Well, and it, and it was fun because, you know, for us, work was work was fun. You know, even even when we were learning these things that seemed like they would be archaic one day, they were still helpful and it was fun to do together and they made learning interesting. And then, you know, your sailors would be up on the top of the ship talking to another ship using Morse code or semaphore, you know, any use that's using flags when they're talking. And, and it was just amazing how many different ways we have to communicate with one another, just using all of these different I don't know, movements and flashes and, and things. So, so, so learning was fun, even though it was absolutely a necessity for us to actually have that skill set too. Does that make sense? Awesome. Yeah. 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 Now, now this was in, uh, so 2002, 2003, four, that time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, now were there a lot of other female officers on your ship? There were not. Um, there were a couple when I first arrived, but you know, in, in the Navy, our, uh, our tours are two years ish, you know, when you're out to sea. And so pretty quickly after I got to the ship, all of the women left and it was just me. I was the only female officer on the ship. Coincidentally, you didn't make them leave. I did not make them leave. No, (laughs) it was good though, because when I first arrived, all of the women were in what we call the J.O. jungle and we had a cot in there. So there were seven people in a room that was like 10, 10 feet by 10 feet seven of us living in there within a month they were all gone and then i had my own room because i was the on- only woman oh wow <laughs> so, so that doesn't count as a real rotation then, right <laughs> no so all of the all of this stuff that's just horrible i mean can you imagine seven women living in a room that's 10 by 10 and then all of a sudden i was in a smaller room but there were three beds and they were all for me wow. because, not bad because there just wasn't anyone else on the ship so i got to live with um we would bring instructors onto the ship to teach the sailors college courses. And so frequently that would be a woman. And so they usually would be my roommate. So I got to live with civilians, which was fun. So aside (laughs) from the, uh, the quarters situation in terms of where you would sleep and and where your stateroom was on the ship and who was in it, uh, what was, what else, what else was it like, um, in terms of the dynamics of that wardroom, which when I say wardroom, that refers to all the officers on a ship. Mm -hmm. Um, what was that like? It's, it's unlike anything else I've ever experienced, I have to say. Um, there's an immediate requirement for all of you to have this camaraderie. And it might not be super fun camaraderie, but at least a connection to one another where you feel like you're all in this together, I think is a good way to describe it. And one of the ways that this was really indicated was, you know, in the military, while it's kind of morbid to think about, we always have to consider the fact that there is potential that tomorrow the the guy standing next to you won't be there. I usually now use the reference, you know, what if the, the guy on your team wins the lottery tomorrow and has $500 million and, and doesn't <laughs> come back the next day? Are they ready to step into the shoes of the people around them? So I've tried, I've changed my my dialogue a little bit when it comes to that. But in the military, that's macabre. Yes, that's macabre. <laughs> 
in the military, that's a, that's a real thing that we have to think about. So the idea of making sure every single person around you is developed and ready and can can step into your shoes and understand your role is it's vital. Like we we look at that as something that has to be done. And um, to the point where we even had uh, a gentleman that was on my ship, he was our chief engineer. And every single time we pulled into port, you can imagine people have been out to sea for weeks and weeks and weeks. And they they just want to get off the ship so they can breathe some breathe some air, stand on land that's not moving everywhere and and just enjoy themselves for a couple days. But we had this one gentleman who we would pull into port and he'd say, when we pull in for four hours, I will sit in the wardroom and I will teach you and I will train you and I will develop you very specifically around the requirements that it takes to be a surface warfare officer. So we have we have a very strict that kind of development pipeline that you have to go through, which will indicate whether or not you are now qualified to drive any ship in the Navy. That's the way we think about it. It's it's a little bit more complex than that, but it has to do with under, understanding engineering systems and navigation and driving this ship in general and the tactics involved with what we do with our weapons should anything happen. And this gentleman, no kidding, every single time we pulled into port would sit in that wardroom, even if not a single person showed up, and he would be ready to teach, train, and develop them around all that stuff. Because he said, one day I'm not going to be here. And somebody has to be able and willing and understand this stuff. And just to, just to pause on that, I, that's a big sacrifice for a person to, you're saying you go into port. Now, you've been yes. out sea for a while. Yes. Usually when you pull into port, as soon as you can, now if you're the chief engineer, you're oftentimes doing a lot of things to kind of you know set up some, some of the engineering services for the yeah. ship, like getting electrical cables over and all that kind of stuff. But anyway... Once you get that done, oftentimes it's like, okay, I kind of want to go see what this place is like, yes. you know? So it, to me, I, that, I just think it's in, interesting for our listeners to realize how, what a sacrifice it was for this person to take that time at which, you know, he, he could have been doing something else, more Anything. enjoyable perhaps, and said, no, I'm going to mentor and try to train and develop these people on the ship. And, and I just think it's a really interesting mentoring experience that you had there. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's one of those where I didn't realize that it was shaping me early in my own belief of how you always need to give back, you know, what what people give to you, if there's a way that you can give it back. And it, he just I mean, every single time we pulled into port, this is what he would do. And no kidding, sometimes nobody would show up but he would still be in that room because he committed that to the other junior officers on the ship. And this gentleman he already had all of these qualifications. So he had, there was no reason that he had to sit there and do this to your point. He could immediately go off and have a beer with everybody else. Right. But he said, this is, this is a thing that I am obligated to do as an officer in the Navy. I need to be here to develop these junior officers. And so, you know, this is, this is kind of where my pivot starts in my own career was then he transferred. It was time for him to go on to his next duty station. As I said, you know, in the surface warfare community, it's about two years that you have each one of your tours. And so he left. Well, when he left at that point, I had already gotten my swope in, which is that qualification that all of his mentoring and development was, was getting me to. I had these books of notes that were really well laid out and really specific and labeled and tabbed with each one of the different areas that we needed to focus on. And with that, I said, well, he's gone, so I'll just do it. And 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 I started to be the one that came in every every time we pulled into port and I said, I'll be here for a few hours and we can go over all this stuff, whatever it is you want to talk about. And then I would pull out my book and I would tab it open to where it was. And that's what we would talk about. And it it just felt like something I needed to do. And and I think it's because I had watched this gentleman for, for these past couple of years, really, you know, he, he drove it into our heads that this was something important. And so I started doing that with our junior officers. And I mean, I was probably one of the most annoying uh, teachers that we had, you know, going through this stuff. So when our junior officers were trying to learn, um, there are different sound signals that ships make, especially when it's foggy outside. So the other ships in the area know what they are. And so when I would say to my sailors, you know, what is, or my junior officers, what sound will you hear if there's a man overboard? 
And instead of me allowing them to just say five short blasts, I would make them make the sound of five short blasts. <laughs> and they hated it. But I was like, you will never forget it because you just did it like That's that. Awesome. And I'm like, okay, you're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so to put this into, uh, you know, Star Wars terms, you know, so you have Yoda there who's helping everybody. <laughs> and then Yoda leaves. And then, you know, you, you were already a Jedi at this point. You had your swoop in. You had your qualification. I like just, I like this analogy. Yeah, this so you good. could have just done whatever you wanted, but then you said, "No, there are other young Padawans who need my help." And yeah, you know, I, I'm sure you didn't do it in that kind of um, uh, condescending wah, way, wah. right? <laughs> <laughs> I used but, other but, voices, but what's interesting? So, but then you saw that, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like, hey, like I can kind of pay it forward a little bit yeah. here. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and and it goes back to kind of something I talk to people about where, where you're always being watched as a leader. And a lot of people don't like to hear that. They want to be like, well, I can have a bad day as leader. It's okay if I have a bad day. And I'm, I say, sure, it's okay if you have a bad day, but I still believe you're always being watched and everything you do, people are, 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 are paying attention to. And I don't think I realized it at that time, but, but it's true. And so it's about time for me to start looking at where I'm going to go next. And my commanding officer came to me and said, Hey, there's a job open to go and teach leadership, um, ethics and law at the Naval Academy. Would you be interested in that? And I, and I was like, sir, no, I don't like being the center of attention. I don't think I'm good in front of a large audience. I don't, I'm not interested in any of that. And he said, okay, well, let's talk, think about, it, let's talk about it in a week. And, uh, then a week goes by and I, I tell myself he's forgotten about it and no kidding. He comes up to me again and says, Hey, have you been thinking about this thing that we said we were going to talk about again in a week? And, you know, would you like to go and teach leadership at the Naval Academy? And again, I said, sir, I just don't, I just don't think that this is, I don't think this is the right next role for me. I like being out on the high seas and this is fun and, you know, I'm traveling the world. Now here's a secret that not many people know. I don't talk about this very much with, uh, with people when I'm talking about my, my seagoing experience, but I get, violently seasick violently (laughs) (laughs) so my sailors literally had tiny trash bags on the navigation table and they could see when my face was turning green they'd pull one out and i'd run to the side of the ship and grab it boot and run and get back to the front of the ship and drive again So my commanding officer even used that. He was like, hey, you puke all the time when you're on the bridge driving. <laughs> this was half career guidance, half confrontation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was like, you know, actually, um, we're just tired of cleaning up Kate's vomit. Sir, uh, <laughs> you got, I don't care what it is, but you got to get her out of here. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And it was it was it was a really funny conversation because he's like, I bet you have Dramamine in your pocket right now. And here I pull out a pack of Dramamine and I'm like, yes, sir, I do. And he said, he goes, he said, okay, well, all joking aside, um, he said, what, what I think you're not realizing is all of these things you're saying you're, you're worried you're not good at, or you're worried you won't be able to do. He goes, you've been doing them. He said, every single time you sit there in front of these JOs and you teach and you train and you develop and you give them that time and that mentorship, he goes, you're doing all the same stuff you're going to do at the Naval Academy. And so, you know, partially because I know uh, Annapolis is beautiful in the springtime and, you know, it was time for me to go to my shore duty anyway. And I thought, OK, maybe maybe he's on to something. I guess I'll give it a try. So I, to say that I, I was jumping at the opportunity would would be very misleading. Instead, I'd say I was kind of dragging my feet and begrudgingly taking these orders that people are dying to get, you know. So. I leave my ship. It's time for me to go. I go to the Naval Academy. And within a month, within one month of taking that job, I realized that this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Wow. You're you're learning about all these characteristics of leadership that you hadn't considered before. You're getting so deep into the theory that's behind it and, and the psychology around human behavior and how your actions can affect people in such such a drastic way that truly as a leader, you have an obligation to do it right. And knowing that I had a hand in that became such a fulfilling part of my life that I ended up switching my specialty in the Navy from being a surface warfare officer 
to being a human resources officer so that I could continue doing that type of thing. All the, you know, learning and development, training, development, character development, which is what we called it there, ethical decision-making, organizational leadership development. And so that's how my career has morphed from there. And, you know, looking back, and of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. but looking back, you know, I can't, I can't attribute anything that I did to my own actions, you know, so much as I can to the encouragement others and the modeling of behavior that molded and shaped who I was. So first the, the chief engineer who took his own time to, to teach and train and develop, and it became something in my head that felt like just an obligation you have as an officer to do that with the people that are coming behind you. And then also the encouragement of my commanding officer as my champion and as this person who who really believed in me more than I, I believed in myself and saw something in me before I realized it was a strength. And so so it's worth it to listen to these people when they're when they're making recommendations and suggesting things to you and talking to you about ways that you can make a difference in the future. So that's kind of my career pivot. And then, you know, I end up here in Texas after, you know, a few more tours in the Navy and I fell in love with it. And, and at that point is when I, I, I stayed in the reserves, but I became um, a civilian at the same time. And I just was fortunate enough to find another opportunity for leadership and organizational development in the civilian world. So I continued to do the same type of thing but in the civilian sect. And, uh, and then here I am today at a tech company doing the same thing. Um, I'm a director now, so I've gone up a little bit in, in each one of the roles that I've been in. And I just have this really great opportunity to work with so many great people who, who want to accept that obligation and feel as if they also have a need to be a great person for the people around them to discover how they can be great and treat others well and bring engagement and value and fulfillment to those around them. And so mm-hmm. I'm able to, you know, straddle the line between my military reserve career and also the civilian world. So I've got this really beautiful balance. Wow. Yeah. And and I want to just say that 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 stuff's not easy. I mean, we see these platitudes on LinkedIn or Facebook, you know, you know, what if we pay money and train these people and they leave us? What if we don't and they stay and and there's all this platitude. Be, have empathy, love people. Okay, I don't know anybody that doesn't buy that stuff, right? Right. But then when the rubber meets the road, well, how do you do it? You know, it's like, all right, get, hey, listen, this is a boxing match, right? You're going to go in there, you're going to use your hands, and I don't know, then you're going to win, right? Because winning's <laughs> great. Well, well, great. What well, do I hold my hands here? Is it called boxing, or should we use the original term, fisticuffs? Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? I mean, there there is just so people know that this is not a bunch of fluffy kumbaya baloney. Mm-hmm. There's actual science beto- behind leadership. There's actual science behind empathy, um, creating a. Uh, you know, people mock the idea of safe place, but. Uh, a culture where it's safe to speak out about ethical violations is important if you want to not get sidelined by something that your lower managers are doing. Yeah. I mean, th- there's very concrete things. So you spend two years at the U.S. Navy Academy yes. developing your chops and really learning that stuff mm-hmm. cold. Because you kind of, I don't know. I It doesn't matter cart before the horse or horse before the cart. You know, you had a bit of practice maybe with some kind of just see what other people were doing. Some of those guys had gone through those courses at the Navy Academy. Yeah. I'm sure you had some while you were in your undergrad, right? I did. Then you hone, hone the teaching of that at the Naval Academy in a teaching position. Now yep. you've made the pivot over to the cor- corporate world, right? Mm-hmm. And like, just to throw out one name, like these aren't small companies that Kate's been with. Like Dr. Pepper Keurig is, is one of the places she held a pretty senior position over at Duin Leadership and development. So yeah. what one thing that struck me about your background is it wasn't this simple like, all right, find your passion and then go get involved. Exactly. You're like, yeah. life is moving at the speed of time. Right. I, I can't do my senior year of high school again as fun as or not fun for some people as that was, right? <laughs> it was oh, fun for Ben. It was fun for Ben if you recall that podcast. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, so you're moving at the speed of time. Crap, graduation is coming, mm-hmm. right? And this is the same thing. If you're married, you know, like, oh no, we're pregnant. This is flipping happening, right? Uh, these life moves at you at the speed of time. And what stuck out to me, um, not to derail this whole conversation, but is you just went with the opportunity in front of you. Yeah. You didn't say, oh, well, you know, I really just didn't have a passion for sailboats ever since I was four. Look at my mm-hmm. collection of like mm-hmm. itchy models on my desk. No, it was like. <laughs> I don't have any of those. No. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what to do. I don't even really have a plan. I just need to get in there. And right. And once you get in there, you start figuring stuff out. And I, I love how you just found your, your pivot. There was none of this great call of destiny, but, but how's it feel now? Do you, now that you've settled into this and this mm-hmm. is after how many years when you first, so you, you start realizing you're teaching, you're like, Oh my gosh, I have a passion for this. How many yes. years after your graduation from high school is that when you start teaching? Oh, at the Naval That would have been eight years, eight, eight years, eight years. to mm-hmm. find what you feel like you're supposed to be doing on this planet, right? right? That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not like reality television where it's like, meet the characters. (laughs) No, no, no. Strength and flaws. Training montage. Fully formed person. I mean, this was eight flipping years of crucible. Did you ever feel lost during that eight years? Oh yeah. I mean, I still to this day feel lost. And, and one of the reasons why, I say that is, is because I'm dealing with human beings and people are complex. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I think anybody, I, I meet people all the time are like, Oh, this seems so fun. I would love to go into this, but they're not people who deal well with ambiguity. Well, I'll tell you what, there is no just like straight model for any one person that you can use. You have to be willing to flex and ask questions and, and figure out how they, what makes them tick and how it is that they can be better. And so it's, it's never easy. And I often feel lost because I think that that's part of the game. And I think it's part of what you accept as you say, you know, for a moment, I'm not going to feel like I have an absolute handle on this, but I ask questions and I learn about the people and I understand the things that motivate them and what is it that inspires them and how is it that I can have an effect on them as a leader and how can I influence the other leaders around them to have an effect on it? It takes time. So anyone who thinks that they've just got it right in that second in this field I think is lying because people are complex. People are complex and it takes time and it takes the willingness to actually invest that time in the people around you to be good. Yeah. Right. So one of the things that's interesting as well, I mean, there's lots of interesting things about your story, but about the situation is like, how often do you use your surface warfare skills now? Probably not very frequently, N- right. not as a surface war, not the surface stuff, the leadership <laughs> stuff. Sure. <laughs> right. But so, so this is a thing. And like, and to people that I talk to that are coming out of college or high school that are trying to figure out what to do, just get in the game somewhere yeah. and just spread your net wide initially, develop a lot of things. But then as you move through life, and, and if this has been pretty much anybody, you kind of prune some of those things, even some of those things you spend a lot of time on. Um, yeah. You know, so as you begin to find your passion, you begin to hone and to develop a more vertically integrated expertise set. And and I I think that's that's awesome. So, well, you just touched on something that I think is is important to talk about, and that that's the developing of many skill sets. Um, The world right now is becoming flatter and flatter. I'm not talking flatter people. I'm talking like different <laughs> organizations. Yeah, and you, you you listen to the podcast enough to know that we don't like flat earthers <laughs> or anti-vaxxers. So. Flat earther that loves this podcast. <laughs> we want to have you on. Please write in. I'm hoping that our podcast is self-selecting enough. <laughs> anyway, go ahead, Kate. Go well, ahead. I think that it's important that the broadening of skill sets and trying different things and constantly developing is the piece that will help you start to identify things that you enjoy doing, that you're good at doing, that, that, that can build your career in a broader way, because nobody's just climbing the ladder anymore. There's more of a spaghetti diagram. People are moving around a career lattice. But the, the point that I want to make that ties into what you were just saying is 
And as the three of us are all development people, this is not going to be groundbreaking what I'm about to say. But you need to try stuff and develop skill sets, even even if you don't know if they're going to be the things that are going to set you on this course towards the next promotion you've got. Think about what we were talking about with my my sailors and I using using a sextant. It, I'm not doing that now, just like you just said, I'm not doing that now. But you know what it did? It forced me to learn something that I was a little uncomfortable learning, forced me to you know, do math and science that perhaps I hadn't done in a few years since I'd been in college. I, I had to start memorizing things and it just kind of exercises a part of your brain that you weren't really doing all of the time and learning different skill sets that that exercising of your mind and your brain and the development of that gets you into almost a mindset of learning early. So I, I think that as people are going through their careers, trying different things and forcing the development and forcing the learning is, is vital. Anyone who's on my team always has to have what I call a fake goal. And that sounds very strange, but I, I personally think that when people are doing their, their goal development in a, in a company, especially when it's tied to your bonus, we play it safe. We like, okay, well, I'll make it kind of hard, but I'm definitely going to do something I can hit so I can get my bonus later. <laughs> That's right. <You'd laughs> yeah, well, think not think of the budgeting <laughs> process. Okay, besides the real budgeting process where everybody, yeah, we're going to do budget, we're and we didn't have time to get it, so let's just go up 3% on everything we did from last year and press send. They'll never know. But everybody's doing it, right? But yeah. besides that, the budget process, if you happen to go through it, just think of the, the false conversation there. Well, you know, guys, how much, I want to get the most amount of work from you and your team for the least amount of money. How do I do that? <laughs> and, <laughs> and then the manager's turning back and it's like, really? Because I wanted to get the most amount of money for the least amount of work. So how do we do that? And, and nothing's aligned with what's good for the strategy and direction for that business or right. what's good for the growth and strategy of those people as individuals. Yeah, you got it. That's exactly what I mean by my fake goal. When when you play it safe or you have these like false ways that you're putting parameters around yourself or how it is that you think you're going to need your budget next year, I just I don't think that we're very realistic or very honest with ourselves. And so being in the development world and having a team of development people, I say to them, you always need to be developing yourself. Otherwise, we can't be expecting that of others. And so you need to have your fake goal that is not in your goals. We have our goals, the things and objectives that we, we want to make sure we're accomplishing next year. I don't care what it is, but you're going to be doing something in the developmental world outside of that. And it's just between you and me, unless you want other people to know. But it needs to be something where you're taking a risk, something that you might fail at. And something that if it works, then it's going to be a pretty awesome feeling when you realize you can do something that you would have never expected you were capable of doing before. But it's okay if you fail because it's just you and me who know about it. And so I've had some people do some of the most incredible things. I had, I had one woman who had never had direct reports before. She didn't have any direct reports on the horizon or anything. And she said, I want to learn how to coach. So in our one-on-ones that we have, let's role play every single time. And I said, absolutely. But you know what? If she sucked at coaching and if she failed miserably, who cares? Her bonus isn't tied to it. She doesn't have direct reports who are going to fail right now. Instead, it's just the two of us working on it together. And so that was not part of her job. Not at that point anyway. And now I have data points where this woman has now completely switched the trajectory of her role because she has clearly demonstrated that she's capable of something that was not part of her original job description. I had another guy who, outside of the professional part, he said, I want to learn how to play the piano. And it's not because I want to play the piano, but I don't spend enough time with my one daughter who plays the piano all the time. I'm going to learn how to play the piano so that I can do that with her. No kidding. This guy he was playing the piano with his daughter at a concert in the Macy's fragrance department, <clears throat> but it was something that I could ask him about, see how he was progressing. He was using his mind in a way that he had never used it before and continuing to develop in a way that he had never expected he was able to before. So twofold, he had that developmental opportunity. And he was also spending more time with his daughter, which leads to a happier employee, which leads to better productivity at work. So there are a lot of things that go into the development and I think 
Chris, when you mentioned it earlier, it's important that we we continue to learn and we continue to develop skill sets that maybe aren't necessarily within our current job description of what it is we should be doing. Yeah, and well, I mean, you know, psychologically, the reason why that works is a reason why it's beneficial to learn things maybe that and get good at stuff that's, you know, maybe not even related to your actual job is that it helps us to develop what we call self-efficacy. This idea mm. that you can do stuff, that you can learn things, that you can try new things and, you know, be audacious in your goals. Uh, you know, so, you know, for example, maybe to use some of the examples you had, right? I, I, it may have given you, you can tell me if this is true or not, but it may have given you a little bit less hesitation to try something new in the corporate world because you had these examples to draw upon from your Navy experiences saying, you know what? I learned celestial navigation. It was hard, but I did it. And you know what? That means that I have enough faith in myself that I can learn something new. And I just think that it's such an interesting and useful um, part of leadership when we can help people understand and see the potential in themselves. And, you know, I, I sometimes I ask, um, you know, my MBA students or ask people if they've ever had someone like that in their life. And, and some, uh, there's, there's a good number of people who don't, who don't have somebody who has helped them do something that they didn't think was possible. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's a shame. And I, but I also think it's a huge opportunity for all of us as leaders to help everyone around us to flourish a little bit more in life. Absolutely. And, you know, Chris, Chris kind of turned me yesterday, um, when he, he turned something back on me that I think is, is worth us talking about real quick. When I said, uh, I was like, I feel like I'm a very lucky individual. I found this thing that I'm passionate about, that I love, that I happen to be good at. And so I, I have derived a lot of fulfillment in what I do. And I don't feel like everybody has that same feeling. And, and Chris, what was it you said to me to that? Uh, well, I was like, it's, so I, I grew up in the evangelical church, and one of the things that was really important is finding God's one magical person for you to marry, right? Now, if you believe that, great. that That's fine. But I see so many times that, like, there must be this one magical thing for me to do. Well, what do you do in the meantime? <laughs> we haven't found the magical thing. Are you, are you just going to have a crap life along to finding that magical thing? And I was like, well, Kate. And this is dealing with soldiers that have had trauma or people that have like, you know, if you love running and that's your thing and you're in a car, let's say you're an Olympian that runs the 400. Amazing. And you have a car wreck and you lose your legs. Well, is life just supposed to be crap for you at that point? And I get it. Having an identity in something you do, it can be a compelling drug. But I want to say, in my view, it's a mirage. We need to focus more on having an operating system of resilience. I'm happy and present in the moment. I, I'm developing my operating system, which is being a continually developing learning type person. And what I'm doing right now is the most banging thing, period. Even when it's horrible, right? Like the Lord of the Rings would be totally lame if they leave the Shire walk next door and drop the ring in the volcano. Like that would just be the dumbest movie ever. The whole point of that thing is the journey. And when that yeah. journey is the destination, I don't know. Did I, I think I said it better yesterday. Yeah. Well, and another thing that you, yeah, you, well, you, another thing you said to Kate when we were prepping for this episode, is, you know, cause she was saying, you know, I, I found the, the thing that I love and, and you said, well, wait, you probably could have been great at a whole bunch of different things. Yes. Yes. And that, that was, that was the thing that I thought to myself, you know what, that's, that's probably right. And, you know, I, cause I was pretty good. I was pretty good being a seagoing sailor, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was pretty good at that Arr. part too. R. Yeah. That's where I, <laughs> if you guys could see me, I always put my hand over my eye, like an eye patch. Um, you know, it's, you know, I was good at being a seagoing sailor. I was good at teaching at the Naval Academy and, you know, now I'm good in this. So, so you're, you're right, Chris, like there are, there are so many things that, that one can be good at. And this just happens to be one that, that I found that I love. And, and that's, you know, right now it's right for me. And, and I do love that. And I think, you know, typically the number one reason why people can't do anything with leadership development or they can't, you know, do whatever this stuff is, is they say we don't have time to work on it. We don't have time to develop. We don't have time to learn. You know, we're so busy. We're so busy. We're so busy. And I think that it 
it comes down to making the time for yourself and figuring out, you know, what's important with how you want to do that. And so, you know, when you meet people that aren't happy with their life or they're not fulfilled or they don't feel like they've found that, that's where the learning comes in. And that's where the development so that you could talk to them about different things that they do enjoy, because there are people who aren't in a, in a role that they like. But I've also met people and I don't want to discount this because I think it's important too. I've met people who aren't necessarily in a role that they like, but it is a means for them to have a life that they love and is flourishing. And um, I, I think about um, a person that I know that's in the consulting world and, you know, he's super smart. He's, he, he's okay, you know, liking what he does, but he's really, really good at it. But that type of lifestyle allows for him to travel all the time. And that is his passion in life. So it's the type of thing where he's like, okay, I'm going to do this thing I'm, I'm really good at. It might not be the thing that I love so much, but it is a means for me to do this other thing that I love so much. And so therefore, he feels very fulfilled in what he does because it is the purpose that gets him to the thing in his life that he finds to be so important. So I think that there's there's something to be said about that, too, because um, I, I believe that people who are are happier at home will be happier at work and people who are happier at work will be happier at home. And so there's there's a way that this can be secular and, and that's part of what it is. Yeah. And th and there's some data on midlife crisis stuff that like. You could just, despite everything, and this journalist, we should put this in the show notes probably, but like the journalist wrote this thing is like, I feel miserable, but I've been like internationally recognized as a journalist. Like dude is at the top of his field and still miserable. Also dealing with people coming out of college. I had all these hopes for the world, but the world is kind of a gross, fighting, disgusting place. And ew, um, that's so that's okay. Just get in the game. Mm -hmm. Because if you're going to have this existential angst, which we all have, like, Kate, everything wasn't roses and wonderful. You probably worked for some bad bosses along the way, even sure. in the Navy, right? Like yes. people, you're like, oh my God, I fantasize about a, an obituary with their name on it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I, what, somebody said, I, I would never harm anybody, but I would relish certain obituaries, right? You know, <laughs> that's, that's part and parcel. But if you're going to have that existential angst anyway, you might as well have some sweet cash to go with it. Sure. Get, get in there, make money. Because when you're by yourself or you're isolated, you have less of those opportunities for people to see and discover who you are, your special sauce that you bring to the world and plug you in. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, all this conversation makes me wonder and makes me think about, all right, so, you know, you were able to navigate this, uh, pun intended, right? Navigate the, the waters of your career and, <laughs> and find, do, find a, a career that was outside of the military that really was rewarding for you and so forth. Um, you know, but there are a lot of people who don't know what they want to do in their lives. They feel unfulfilled. Uh, they, they're not sure if they have a, they don't know what their purpose is. Uh, you know, you mentioned people come out of college, Chris, like, People who are grad who just graduated right now, like here in you know, uh, middle of 2020, like that's a rough time to be graduating if you're looking for a job. Um, what what are some things that those people perhaps can do to move forward in an effective manner and try to figure out a little bit of you know what their purpose is or what they're good at or those types of things so that they can have um, you know a, a a meaningful way ahead. So this is actually one of my favorite things to talk about um, when we're discussing the differences between the generations. I can't tell you how many times people in my companies have said, how do I, how do I lead these millennials? You know, mm. or the millennials will come well, to me and first say, first of all, don't get your thoughts about generations from crappy, like ink.com or some exactly. crap <laughs> no you're and and that's that's the point that's and that's my point when they ask me how to lead them i'm like how about you lead them like everybody else with dignity and respect and find out what motivates and inspires them and so it's it's kind of a joking conversation i have mm. while i'm like you know slapping their hand at the same time saying wake up this you know this is leadership we're not talking about just like some broad generalization about a generation of lazy and entitled people. I actually disagree with that completely, especially some of the um, early career professionals that I've worked with, they're exceptional. And I, I think that 
one thing to remember. So these people who just graduate college, first of all, Chris said it already, just, just get out there, just, you know, get your foot in the door, start learning, start developing, find, find, find a job anywhere. Volunteer. Yeah. Volunteering is awesome. You know, working for some of these nonprofits is great. So, you know, if you have the means to do any of these things, just explore. I I think it's okay to not know what you're going to do. I had no idea what I wanted to do. You know, when I, when I left the Naval Academy, I was fortunate enough to be, I had a guaranteed job. I had to go into the Navy for five years. And so hopefully you like it. Cause if you don't, that's going to be a long freaking five years. <laughs> you can go to work or go to jail at that right. point. <laughs> exactly. And, and, you know, as, as Ben pointed out earlier, or Chris, one of you guys did, it, it took me another three and a half years after that to figure out what that thing was that I was supposed to be doing. And I didn't know, but all the time I'm learning, I'm developing, I'm figuring out what those skill sets were. And I'm trying to figure out what's right for me. And I think that we we do not allow enough grace in ourselves and in our own hearts because we're listening to all these stupid voices around us who are saying, you know, millennials are entitled and, and lazy. And so we're like, well, I have to have it all figured out right now at 22. I disagree Except with that. Millennials are like just now retiring from the military last year with yeah, 20 de- years yeah. in service. So let, let, yeah. let's talk about Gen Z or Gen, Gen, Z. Gen whatever's after that. You know, like anytime an exec brings that up, I'm like, man, if you're talking about millennials right now, you are like two decades behind. Yeah. 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 And, and, and I, and I think that, I think, I think you're right. Yeah. It's funny. At my company, we kind of lump them all into the same. Yeah. You know, Gen, <laughs> Gen, uh, the millennials are just those young, those whippersnappers. Yeah, whippersnappers. Those <laughs> young people who are good at their Instagrams and their, mm-hmm. their Snapchats and whatever. That's right. Yeah. That's yes, right. Yes. But, but because we have put this stigma, we old people have put this stigma on these other people who are really exploring right now and trying to find what the right thing is for them and where their purpose is, they feel bad and they feel like they're doing something wrong by trying to explore these different things. And so I think that it's important to not only have grace in their own hearts, but we as the establishment need to encourage that exploration. Yeah. It's okay if you switch to a different job in two years. Like who... Who really cares if we're doing our job of developing everyone around them and they take on that same mentality, somebody will be able to step into those shoes when they go to their next one. And who knows if that type of uh, um, openness is there for these people to do that exploration. Guess what? They'll probably stay at your company because they're exceptional talent and you've given them opportunity to really try to expand their skill sets and figure out what it is that they want to do. So I think that there's a give and take that's associated with that. And and we don't make it okay for people to explore. Instead, we call them job hoppers. And that's that's not necessarily the case. They're just looking and trying to figure it out, just like we were back then, except back then, you know, you'd get a watch at your retirement and you'd stay with the same company for 50 years. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. funny how we throw our own myopic garbage on other people. I'm not a failure as an organization. It's those daggone job hoppers. Right, right, right. It's, it's them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't have a recruiting and retention problem. This generation X. Yeah. Well, so, you know, I, I think it's also just interesting to think about this um, a little bit more broadly, uh, you know, because some people and this is this t- actually ties into an episode we recently recorded all about your own identity and how your mm-hmm. identity doesn't shouldn't be all wrapped up completely in your professional identity, in your work. Right. Because that yeah. that can come and go and that can be good, if the zombie apocalypse comes right. and you and a cohort of four people are existing. I'm sorry. Being a dot net developer isn't a career option anymore. It's true. In a zombie apocalypse, you're absolutely right. Are you, as you're trying to repopulate the earth, no matter how fun that can be, are you just going to feel not professionally <laughs> fulfilled? Right, right. <laughs> I'm having a lot of sex, but I just don't. I'm, I'm, my career path is horrible. <laughs> like, hey, buddy, we had just said the zombie apocalypse. There's more to life than a career, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, and, 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 and so, you know, finding your purpose and finding your meaning in life is something that transcends your career, or at least I think it should if you're trying to be psychologically healthy. And it can really help you for a variety of reasons. One, it can help you in terms of your motivation because you can always be trying to become that person you want to be. 
right? If you have this strong sense of self of this is this is how I should be in the world, this is how I want to be remembered, all those types of ideas, and then trying to close that gap between you know who you are and who you're going to be, because to to some degree we're all hypocrites. We all have this inflated ver- version of ourselves, and we're all, I think, if we're honest with ourselves, trying to achieve that, and we sh- and that's that's healthy, right? The other thing it can help us with is when things go wrong, when we face adversity then if we have a strong sense of purpose and meaning and what we're supposed to be doing with ourselves and what are the good ways in which I can spend my time, then we can feel good about what we're doing and we can continue to endure in the face of all of that. So, you know, there's some great um, studies on on this idea of hardiness, which is, you know, having that sense of purpose and meaning in the face of of adversity. So I think those are some other, even broader benefits of trying to find your purpose. And it may be through your career. It may be in other ways. Like, you know, for example, Kate, you know, your, your passion for helping others, um, you know, become better leaders or become better people or figure out what they want to do with themselves, all of that, you know, that extends way beyond the workplace. It does. And I, I think that tying back into what you just said, that, you know, there's an element of, of self-reflection and self-awareness that needs to come into all of this. Because that piece that transcends past work, I mean, y- you have people say, well, I'm one person at work and I'm another person when I'm at home. Mm-hmm. I, I am told that all the time. And I typically ask the question, well, is that exhausting for you? <laughs> you know, being one person here and then another person there. And I, I, you know, and there's a lot of talk around what the word integrity means. And, and when I think about integrity, I think it means, you know, bringing your true self where you are and being your true self and living your, your true life. And, and, you know, I had experience with this when I was first on my ship and I was, I was, I was the only female officer for a while. And in my head, I'm like, okay, I've got to, I've got to be like all the guys and I've got to be tough like all the guys. And I, I can't show that I care about anybody and I'm not going to tell them about my personal life and all this. And, and then when I taught at the Naval Academy, you know, fast forward a few, and, and we had great results. I'm not saying anything was wrong. We had great results, a great team. Everything was wonderful, but I was exhausted every day. I was exhausted. And then when I went to the Naval Academy and talked to um, some people and I brought in a speaker to one of the character development seminars that I was running for the, the senior midshipmen, I had this colonel in the Marine Corps walk up, you know, and think Colonel Jessup, basically, you know, you can't handle the truth. I'm expecting him <laughs> to talk about courage and bravery and taking the hill. And it was going to be this really great experience for all these men that were in the room with me. And he stood up there and he said, my number one rule for how it is you can be a good leader is to love your people. And on a dime, my mentality shifted with what you're supposed to do. And I thought, wait, that's not any of the stuff I was expecting. He said, well, it's not about hugs and stuff. It's about just caring for your people. And if you are a caring person and you care for your people and you learn about your people and you ask what's going on and you know how their families are doing, you are going to be a better leader for them. And what I realized was this entire time I'd been trying to be a leader that I wasn't, and so I said, okay, I guess it's okay if I ask them how their families are. I guess it's okay if, if I tell them how my family is. And all of a sudden, guys, this weight was lifted from my shoulders. I physically felt lighter because all of a sudden I was, I was my normal person. I'm, I'm a person who wants to know how your family is doing. And I, I like sharing with you that I went on a run today and it cleared my mind, but I didn't think I could talk about that stuff. So I was trying to be a leader. I am not actually. And so through that self-reflection and the self-awareness that I was acting in a way that was not, um, it just wasn't who I am basically it became an entirely different leadership journey for me that start and it, leadership is not easy. So I'm going to use this word and it's, it's the wrong word, but it felt easier and it felt lighter and it felt right. And it's not because I was doing something bad before. I just wasn't myself. And so, you know, when, when you talk about that adversity, if you are pretending to be somebody you're not, then when it comes down to that, it's going to be harder to handle and face those things. But if you're true to who you are in your heart, and the values that you hold strong, then you're going to be able to handle these things in a way that is that is meaningful and purposeful and has intent. And, and, and so then you get into the thought of fulfillment, meaning different things for different people. Another piece is I, I've talked to people about, you know, what those values are and the things that motivate and inspire them to be their best at work and, and so that they can figure out how to bring that to their own people. And there's a, a piece of it where they feel almost ashamed if they say anything about if they say anything about money or you know wealth and they they're ashamed 
to say that that's a piece of what their purpose is. But as you talk to them a little more, they say, well, if I make a lot of money, then my kids can go to good schools. My family can be in cars that I know are safe. They can live in in a neighborhood that's safe. And they talk about how money drives purpose for what they feel their role is in their family. I can put food on the table and I don't ever have to worry where our next meal is going to come from. And and that is the thing that fills their heart, you know? And yeah. And I think that that's something to recognize and admire and honor, as opposed to saying, well, you're just a superficial person that just wants money. There's always more to it. I don't care what word it is they say their value is. There's more to it. And and as a leader, you understand the context behind it so that you can help engage in that fulfillment. Yeah. And I think, you know, to that point, I think fulfillment, of course, means different things to different people. Um, and, you know, what what you've been talking about here, I think, is different from the idea of, hey, just go go do what you love, right? Because that's going to be a never-ending, um, I think, pursuit of, hey, like, I had a bad day. This isn't what I love anymore. I'm going to go do something else. And, uh, you know, another thought here is just that, you know, that uh, whole idea of just do what you love, um, it, it's kind of a privileged idea, right? Um, it, you know, maybe... And there's to... been a billion-dollar whatever industry set up selling you crap books that will tell you yeah and, and it's almost yeah. like the perfect thing create a crap book offering false promises that will answer all your wildest dreams yeah. <laughs> wildest dreams aren't fulfilled oh look we could sell them another crap book try preying on people's <laughs> things listen th this isn't a that's not the way to finding yeah. satisfaction and that's not what i we're mean i about left here. out the part where my chief and I were in the bilge, which is not a fun place in the ship, cleaning up stuff, you know, like, you, like there is something to be yeah. said about getting in there, getting your hands dirty, doing the dirty work before you find this thing. And that's okay. And I think that that does help build character. I feel like my grandparents say, that, but I think that there's something to be said about that stuff. Yeah. And so, you know, like you're saying, Kate, leadership is a gauntlet. It is tough, but you had been running that gauntlet with a 50 pound backpack on your back, you know? And so like it with, I have a lot of nexus with the LGBT community and this is, yeah. this is pride month. This is uh we're, we're uh, recording this June 25th, 2020. Kate has her love is love shirt on. We, we learn about the psychology of the closet. And so there's like two takeaways. One, it's really hard. And if you have to stay in the closet, that really freaking stinks. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but another piece of that is, if you're an organization, you got to ask yourself, and this should maybe be baked into some like culture climate surveys and different stuff is what about your culture is making it to where people can't bring their self to work? Like there, yeah. there's a gauntlet. And so if you're a lead and we talk about it out of the literature and of authentic leadership, right? If you go ahead and set the tone of being authentic, you can have that downstream impact on, on everybody that you come in touch with. Absolutely. I, people feel it, Chris. I, I, I think people can see right through you when you're faking it. And so as a leader, if you have that authenticity and that genuineness, people can feel it. Now, you may be able to get away with it for a while. You may be able to get away with it, but, but I think people see through you. People are smart and people can see genuine intent. And, and if you don't have it, then I think you're missing the mark. So I think that that's a great, that's a great way to put it. Um, yeah, some of the imposter syndrome is you are indeed faking it and you yes. should stop. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> mm, that's yeah. right. That's right. You know, I'm also reminded of, uh, you know, this whole idea of, of trying to find your, your purpose or your meaning and so forth. And, you know, a, a book that we have oftentimes discussed a little bit in different ways on the podcast is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And one of the, you know, so he was a Jewish psychiatrist who was imprisoned in the concentration camps during World War II. And he talks a lot about how, you know, during those times, those most horrific times of humanity, right? Um, he was even able to find moments of joy and beauty in those moments um, yeah. because of his purpose and meaning that he was, that he carried with him. And, um, you know, a big point of the book. So he's a psychiatrist, right? So he thinks about these things and is, is analyzing them. And a big point of, of this, of the book was, you know, I can't tell you what your, your purpose necessarily is. Uh, that is a question that you have to answer. And the way that you, you start to answer that, as we've discussed today, I think involves um, trial and error, and it involves this, this journey that we're all on. 
You're absolutely right. And it's it's interesting. You guys did a podcast a, a few months ago, um, and it was actually one of my favorite podcasts. And you asked that question. You asked the question, what is your purpose? And how do you decide what that is? And, you know, unfortunately, there's no like, you know, golden egg or magic answer or anything like that. It's different for every single person. You know, like I said, there was that guy who was like making a lot of money is my purpose because taking care of my family is the number one thing I want to do in my life. Um, I've already told you what I think that my purpose is. I feel that I am very fulfilled feeling as if I'm making a difference in people's lives so that they can make a difference in others. I think that, you know, driving, driving that engagement and the value that people feel through the work that they've got is, is very important. But there's a guy at my work. I work for a tech company, man. He sits in that corner and writes code all day. And it's like the best day of his life every single day. To me, I, I can't even imagine that. I can't even imagine that. Um, but that, that's his thing. You know, so you got to find what your thing is. <laughs> you know, what's the thing that makes you you excited each day? And, and it is it a means to the end, which is, you know, kind of what we we're talking about, about my 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 friend who's a consultant and just wants to travel all the time. And so his life is very fulfilled because he has found the way to bring that fulfillment into his life. I actually think that what I do, my my work is very fulfilling for me, too. So. It's different for everyone and everyone's, you know, purpose is different and, and everyone has to do that own self-discovery to try to learn what that is. But it comes through the self-reflection and the self-awareness and learning and, and opening your mind to different opportunities that you may not have ever expected. And and listen to the people around you because it's it's amazing. You might have champions right there for for you and for what you do that you had no idea were onto something to begin with. Um, so something to be said for that, too. That's right. You know, so this was a fantastic conversation and it was just so fun to Thank hear you. your perspective on career pivots and finding those champions and being those champions for for other people and finding purpose, um, hearing a little bit of your story and that circuitous way in which you uh, ended up to wh where you are today. Um, and then some of the, you know, implications that it has for the rest of us. Um, you know, I, I guess last I'd like just to ask you, you know, is there anything else uh, that you would have to, that you want to share with our listeners about flourishing life in life or anything at all, Kate? Yes. Very relevant to flourishing in life. I have to say it again. Go Navy beat army. I <laughs> ah, ah, got two Navy guys and an army guy over here. <laughs> Chris, you are outnumbered. That's yes. right. Well, our really bad football teams will flail each other. Yes. <laughs> well, Kate Ball, thank you so much for being a part of the Indigo podcast. Thank you guys so much. This was wonderful. I love hanging out with you guys. So thank you very, very much for giving me the opportunity. Thanks for listening to the Indigo Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider helping us by rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, telling your friends about us, having us on your podcast, or mentioning us on social media. Our website is www.indigopodcast.com, where you can access more information about us and this episode. Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.